Hello and welcome to another episode of Startup Sparks and Serendipity. This is the official start of season two of our podcast journey. As always, as in season one, you have the two most important characters of our podcast sitting in front of the microphone. This is Mike. This is Max. Hi, Mike. Hey there. How are you doing? Very well. I'm looking out... Uh out the window, not on the Swiss Alps, but on the Swiss uh, hills, which is also quite nice. So uh, okay. can't okay. complain. That's not interesting. Uh, I'm looking at my screen, actually, <laughs> focusing on the podcast. <laughs> and Yeah, we have a couple of topics for today. Maybe just really quickly, we have some cool interviews lined up with different folks uh, from startup experts to some uh, really cool people in the product scene and then let's say one or two surprises and the plan is as we mentioned in our last episode to iterate between just Max and myself talking a bit and then also having guests on board and actually we can yeah. mention one already um, so for, for all the, the product nerds we have, a, we have an interview um, that we will record beginning of September with uh, Jeff Goldelf uh, actually quite uh, an interesting uh, and and very well known person in the product slash UX environment. Uh, so I can definitely recommend send him a, a tweet or send him an Instagram message that you guys are excited about <laughs> listening to the episode. He will be pumped. Um, he's he's really cool. So uh, for everybody in the product UX environment, that will be definitely a good one. Yeah, and if you haven't heard of him before, he's the author of Lean UX and I think Sense and Respond. And just a very well-connected speaker and thinker in the product world. So it will be very exciting to talk to him. And then we have some undisclosed guests that are also very exciting. Absolutely. Um, you, you can't tweet at them yet, but at some point you will be able to do that. And yeah, I think, Max, you wanted to um, start us off today with some thoughts uh, about, what was it, decision-making uh, yeah. without that much information? Actually, uh, let's 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 put one topic before that because I think it's quite quite hot at the moment. Actually, uh, at work we also talked about it very shortly. That um, I mean, TikTok is quite on the rise at the moment, and um, apparently there are different companies. It seems to be like an online war. Whether it's going to be Microsoft, um, Google, Facebook, um, or any other company that actually is interested in in buying TikTok, which is which I find very interesting because it's it's a huge company, ByteDance. Um, where where TikTok belongs to, so I wonder if we maybe chat about it five minutes. What do you think, Mike? Um, where what's your yeah. diagnosis of of the whole deal flow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely interesting. Very interesting development with some U.S. China geopolitics involved. Some some viral just influencers. Lots of teenagers and a lot of spying. So it uh, sounds like a, a good mix for a good story. So for those who don't know the current development, so basically, I mean, you probably know TikTok, a fairly big and well-liked uh, mobile app uh, showing uh, usually short videos of, of people uh, started with mostly dancing, imitating songs, and is owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance, as uh, Max said earlier, ByteDance is actually very famous for their algorithmic approach. So they, they do not only own TikTok, they own a couple of different apps as well. And you actually notice it when you use TikTok. 
because TikTok's algorithm is probably one of the best that let's yeah. call it social media apps, although it's debatable whether TikTok is a social media app or more an entertainment app, it's probably somewhere in between. But yeah, basically one of the best algorithms that's out there, but that also has a catch. And I don't know if you have noticed it. I mean, Max, you, you know this, but like to, to the listeners, mm-hmm. there were some very big backlashes against TikTok that you might have seen in the news. And there's actually very interesting data around what TikTok is tracking. And there's some very interesting reports from basically security firms outlining what TikTok is tracking. And uh, we can link uh, like one or two of these reports maybe in the show notes so that you get an understanding of that. But basically just to give you all this like context and because of that spying and because it's a Chinese company, there's a lot of politics involved. And India has actually banned TikTok. I don't know what the currency is on that, but they definitely banned it a couple of weeks ago. Like the US is planning to, right? Sorry? The US is planning to, right? Yes, and that's 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 what I was trying to oh. to get at. Basically, India banned it. <laughs> Trump heard about it. <laughs> at least that's the like <laughs> official story. Not like literally, India banned it from one day to another. Lots of people, like all the influencers, no one could access it anymore in India. And then the US started publicly thinking about banning TikTok as well as some kind of a retaliation against China on the one hand, but also just because people were arguing that the tracking of TikTok, especially since it's a Chinese company, is a bit worrying. So Trump publicly stated that he might want to block TikTok in the US. In the meantime, though, uh, Microsoft was in negotiations about buying TikTok. And then the last couple of days, there was a back and forth of whether or not it will go through. And now I think the current status quo is that Microsoft has 45 days to reach a conclusion in the negotiations with TikTok or otherwise Trump will just ban it. So Crazy. very interesting. I think the how it probably will look like, if I understand it correctly, there were different uh, stories circulating, but basically Microsoft would buy TikTok in the US but the rest of TikTok will still be owned by by ByteDance. Uh, I think that's how I understand. Is that also how you understood it? I mean, that's that's what I read um, yeah. at least, which I find uh, very interesting um, from from different perspectives. I mean, from one dimension, looking at it, Microsoft is probably the only player of kind of the the big three that could put, that is, are in somehow in conversations with Facebook. Um, Google and and Microsoft. Microsoft is the, only, is the only one I think that, from a privacy perspective, has the most legitimacy uh, in in the market. Um, of course, big B two B companies use Microsoft in all different services, so I think they have at least some sort of level where people trust in Microsoft, whether or not that's true. But I think the question is: Is that going to change when TikTok somehow is part of the Microsoft suite or the ecosystem or whatever it is? Um, I find that is a very challenging question that Microsoft definitely has to answer because at the end of the day, the technology was still developed in, in, in China and not in the US. And yeah, so I think, I think how it will work is that Microsoft will own it in, and operate it in the US. And uh, like if I remember correctly, in some other Western states, I think Canada, Australia, 
maybe something else, I don't know. And then they will make sure that the data that is gathered will actually stay in the US. But as I understand, obviously there's not like a lot of public information about it, but I think uh, Microsoft would basically make sure that the like data from American citizens is stored in the US, that they make sure that nothing nefarious is done with the data. And yeah, it will, it, it will be very interesting because operating a company that was like yeah. technically built by someone else, I mean, that has been done before, right? M&As are a thing. Yeah. But then also still continuing the same company while it's operating, owned by a different company in other countries, that sounds a bit more challenging, right? Uber has sold their, for example, their Chinese uh, operations before, like a couple of years back to, to Didi. Mm-hmm. But I think they just rebranded it, right? They're not using like Uber itself anymore. They just bought them out, if I understand correctly. And yeah, I think so too. This would, be, this would be different. I agree. Um, I, I, of course, it probably has happened before. I think it's more a question of, I think it's not really a technical or a commercial question. It's more a a a, a political question even, where um, it's about the rights of the end user. It's about the data of the end user. I mean, most of the people, I think I just talked to a friend a couple of days ago who's like a TikTok expert, and he told me that his main target group on TikTok is between, I think, 10 and 16 years old. So we're talking about childs um, and it's the data of children and uh, I think it becomes more and more a political question than a technical or commercial one which I think between China and and the US such a deal has never happened before where there was so much data from young people but also of course the commercial part um, where it's actually a big transfer or big transaction between two different countries that are somehow in conflict or not but um, I think that's the interesting part about it. Yeah, the geopolitics is super interesting because right now US-China relations not really good, right? Yeah. I mean, we're not a politics podcast, so we won't dive too deep into that. But yeah, but it's uh, part of the deal, right? I mean, Satya Nadella yeah. probably also takes care I, about it. Now. By the way, by the way, I uh, I just Google it because I wanted to figure out what the like current status quo is, and apparently, uh, the, like TechCrunch posted about it thirty minutes ago. What <laughs> news? He 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 said that TikTok is a hot brand. And he, like the U.S. government, wants a chunk of the sales price. Are you <laughs> so, kidding? Okay. He, he literally just said that. Wait. You see? Um, I mean, okay, I quote. I, I'll, I'll live quote on the podcast now. I did say that if you buy it, whatever the price is, that goes to whoever owns it. Because I guess it's China, essentially. Okay, now it's a lot of rambling again. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, I said a very substantial portion of that price is going to have to come into the treasury of the United States because we are making it possible for this deal to happen. Crazy. Uh, okay, that's a bit weird, right? Because he is basically the one threatening to block the app, and then because he doesn't block the app, he wants money for it? That's very interesting. Maybe it's also a smart negotiation strategy at some, some point. Um, maybe, yeah. Maybe he's just, I don't know, maybe he's playing 3D chess, but I, yeah, I, like I said, I don't want to comment on, on politics, but it's very interesting. Yeah, and you, uh, not, like, you, you notice that there's just politics involved because how often does a president openly comment yeah. multiple times <laughs> on a tech acquisition within a, a couple of days? I mean, sometimes they, like heads of states comment on acquisitions if there's some kind of um, like monopoly, yeah. uh, like 
just regard or whether they like when, when they think that consumers could be severely damaged because mm. there's just too much power aggregated at, at one point. But in this case, it's just very interesting. And I'll, I'll quote like one more thing and then uh, I, I leave it. But the United States should be reimbursed or should be paid a substantial amount of money because without the United States, if they don't have anything, at least having to do with the 30%. Apparently once 30%? Interesting. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, uh, we, we, can, we can read later, uh, re read about it later. But basically, Trump wants part of the money. The US government is involved. China, the Chinese government is definitely involved, but not as yeah. openly, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they are yeah. pulling the strings. And yeah, very interesting and very interested to see how that develops. Yeah, I think two, two comments on my side. I think one is that I think this will happen more and more often because you see kind of on a global um, economy basis that more and more Chinese companies are transferring to the US or to Europe. And the question is what happens with kind of those mergers or is the, the, the government always involved or is that uh, uh, kind of a separate a separate uh, thinking about it or how, how are these deals going to happen in the future? Is the government involved? How, how is the acquisition flow going when uh, part of the engineering team is still sitting in China? I think the Chinese government will not give any shares um, to, to, to the Europeans or to the US in some sort. So there will be questions. The other thing I wanted to, to, um, to mention is I wrote an article by Josh Burson, who's a big HR uh, tech analyst, and he wrote about it from an HR perspective, which I found interesting, that TikTok would enable Microsoft to open up the HR space in, in a new way because they could, uh, B2B companies could use TikTok or at least the analogy behind TikTok for corporate training, um, for, for, um, for, for learning initiatives within the organization, or they could also use TikTok as another way of openly um, displaying kind of open communication channels in the organization by actually using the algorithm from a technology perspective. So of course they would not use maybe the overlay of TikTok um, with the app, but they could use the algorithms and, and build a new UI on top of it. But the actual user flow with just screening through videos of the organization as an employee is something that would be very interesting for Microsoft to pursue with the technology stack that, um, that uh, TikTok would give them. So I found that very interesting in the HR space, how people think about it. And because Microsoft is actually looking very, very deep into everything related to employee communication, HR tech, this might be also of interest for them to expand their horizon when it comes to employee uh, and, and yeah, employee uh, communication, employee engagement. Okay, so the chief people officer will do some cool dance moves soon in the internal... Social media network. So, what do you say? Maybe, maybe uh, there are. Uh, let's 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 raise the bar high and see what's going to happen. I actually think it's not very unrealistic. Uh, I think it's just a question. I mean, Microsoft needs to have some sort of strategic uh, mission behind it, and they are not a consumer company. So, I think they're they have some ideas on how to use it in B two B environments. Yeah, or they just want to pivot into consumer. I know. I actually don't believe that. But yeah, the last couple of acquisitions, at least their larger acquisitions, were fairly interesting as well, right? LinkedIn, I mean, growth is slowing, but still super important network in the professional scene. Then yeah. GitHub was insanely smart, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just getting the whole developer community at once. Not, not the whole developer community. I know that someone who's listening is triggered because there's not only GitHub. I know there's other things as well. But <laughs> lots of developers <laughs> and... 
yeah, uh, let's let's see where the where, where the whole TikTok journey leads us. One one thing that I wanted to comment before we transition to a different topic is mm-hmm. also how this is a very interesting precedent to some degree because most most transactions in the past were actually the other way around where Chinese companies were buying you like Western companies, mm-hmm. but it, I don't know, maybe I'm just misinformed, but I, it doesn't happen that often that Western companies buy or buy out Chinese companies, right? Usually there's always just a lot of Chinese money buying like robot <laughs> manufacturers or some, some, some other companies or buying out companies that were building operations in China yeah. But now that Chinese companies are actually more and more also expanding to the Western market, and I think TikTok was a very like first super mainstream version of that. Yeah, there, there will be some some very interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting precedent. And like one other thing is that like that isn't known by by, by many people. For example, is you know Tencent. And probably like many people who who are listening do know it as well. But it's crazy how many different gaming companies Tencent owns. Yeah. Everyone who plays League of Legends, Riot is is basically owned by Tencent, and then like so many other companies are are owned by Tencent as well. It's like they they are slowly creeping in. But this was the first like real Chinese brand that was going super mainstream. And they have a, they have a, they have a crazy amount of employees, right? I mean, that's also something uh, that that people sometimes don't know. I don't know how many uh, how many employees by that said. I think we can we can look it up, but I think it's just yeah. Go ahead. It's I think I think from a relationship perspective, also when you look at uh, European companies, it's it's just crazy. I think yeah, April twenty nineteen, it was thirty thousand employees, um, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, I think if you compare that to big European companies or even bigger, bigger uh, US companies, right? So um, just from an employee count, it's, it's crazy to observe. Yeah, that's almost as much as Facebook. Uh, I think Facebook has like, I don't know, 40K, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, agree. But let's move on. I think... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we were actually talking about that way longer than I thought. <laughs> it's an exciting topic. Um, it is. I actually, I actually wanted to talk something... Um, or discuss with you because I think there's one thing that, especially in a high meeting environment, I realized over the past, and I just wanted to get your feeling on it, which is, because um, I'm still reading actually Ray Dalio's book, Principles, and he talks about how people should make decisions. And um, of course, there's much more detail in his description, but I think one thing that he mentioned is that you need two things. First is you need enough information and the second thing is based on the information you need to decide. And of course, it sounds very simplistic, but I think the enough, the having enough information is something that I, at least in my kind of professional life, have always overlooked um, in some form. Uh, there are there's a lot of conclusion biases happening in meetings, where the only missing element that would make a meeting much more productive and make would make decisions more effective is the amount of information and for me personally i would suggest everyone when when in you in a meeting um, observe how people share information and how the data is being transferred and whether the data that people actually transfer and communicate is 
detailed enough and um, granular enough to make a good decision. And in my opinion, I've often come across um, meetings that apparently felt quite nice, but the underlying data or the underlying information was actually not granular or um, not well-researched enough. And um, the more I thought about it, the more I thought it might be something also for the podcast to at least talk about it. And I wonder how you think about it also from your experiences with meetings, with meeting different people. Is that something you also realized or how did you potentially overcome that situation in an effective way? So is the issue that usually that you is what you're saying that in meetings fairly often things are discussed but not in the necessary degree of detail and this is why decisions are made without actually having the information that you need is that what you're saying you need more details and more relevant like data points yeah, that's a good question. No, it's it's yeah, more data points. Not it doesn't like more data points doesn't necessarily need, means more detail. Um, so I think there's a difference um, between granularity and detail, a depth of of information and information in general. Um, okay, by data points, do you mean more perspectives? Do you mean more empirical data or? What do you mean exactly? Yeah, a good mix of, and I think you could structure it quite well in a mental model, but I think um, it's a good mix of qualitative and quantitative data that is needed in order to make a good decision. You need some quantitative data in order to um, to 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 understand pot like potential, but like past environments where you can abstract the data, use it, and mix that with more qualitative data that, that you've gathered over time personally through your experiences or whatever. But I think one of these is missing in some form in lots of meetings. And it it's not something that people actively talk about um, where you say, hey, do we have enough information at the beginning of the meeting? If some set person says no, this might actually be a reason not to pursue with the meeting. But it's not something that is actively mm, being okay, okay. Yeah, actively being discussed in the meeting. Um, yeah, so got it. I think I got it. And I, I wrote, uh, I wrote, I read the book, I don't know, probably two years ago. I, I like briefly after it came out. So I definitely forgot half of the principles because there's way too many. Yeah, but it's a, it's a really, really good book. It's also a very dense read, right? Yeah. It's not the quickest book I've ever read just because I had to reflect after every two pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay, agree. so basically how, how I notice, oh, one thing I notice is that usually people are unprepared for meetings. Yeah. or not prepared in the in the way they should be. And there are two angles to it. One, the person who is actually leading the discussion hasn't done enough research or hasn't done enough to actually translate that research into information that can actually be received by the people in the meeting. Mm. That's, that, that can also be the case, right? There can be enough data points and there can be enough information, but someone is doing a bad job of actually explaining it. So I think mm -hmm. that's that's one part. Like the person who is giving out the information is doing a bad job. But on the other hand, what I also often notice is that the other people who are there to maybe, I don't know, make a decision or help with the decision, but who are not leading the meeting, often they are unprepared as well. And what I've noticed, what really, really, really helps, one of the oldest tricks in the books, but have an agenda in the calendar invite up front. Write down what specific people have to prepare. So Max is in charge of doing the research for the new production site. He needs all the, I don't know, all the laws, all the numbers, everything related to that. 
he will upload a document that summarizes the information at least 24 hours before the meeting mm -hmm. so that I and like the two other people who are joining can read it before. Because that's another mistake I'm often seeing. People are seeing the information in the meeting for the first time, so they have to process it there. And that is so inefficient yeah. because then it, it takes the first like 15, 20 minutes to read the information, to go through it, then they have questions. So yeah, I think preparing meetings makes meetings so much more efficient and effective. I don't know if that's where like you wanted to end up at, but having the agenda up front, making sure that everyone knows what they need to prepare, and then also having very concrete goals for the meetings like this is the next step. This is what we want to achieve. And then having everyone actually prepare for the meeting. I think that makes everything much, much, much more effective. And we, this is something that we've incorporated at uh, my, my startup way too late. But since mm. we did, meetings are, are way more effective. Because back in the day when we just said, yeah, well, we, we will talk about this customer or this process right now. Then everyone would go there. We would know what to talk about. We would bounce around a bit and like we would reach a like, decision, but maybe it's like, let's talk about that again. I, I couldn't agree more. I think you nailed it. Um, I think there were a couple of points that are super relevant. I would, I would just add two more and I can totally reflect what you said. I think it just builds up on it. The first one is um, when you are invited, and I think I, I, I don't know from who I learned it from, but I think when you are invited to a meeting and there's no agenda, which is like the opposite, don't attend until the agenda is fixed. Um, there, even though the, the, the person is um, potentially your superior person, like whatever that. it is, um, like ask them, okay, why do I need to attend and what's the agenda for it? Because what I've learned also from people that are potentially superior to other people, if you do that, um, it still helps you to also give them a chance to outline the goals and the perspectives and the needs for the, for the meeting. That's the first point. Um, be very clear about it. And I think don't feel bad about asking it because it's your interest in actually making the meeting successful. Yeah, and just the, do it in a nice way. Right, just do it in a nice way. Right, exactly, right. So John, just say I'm not going to attend. Uh, <laughs> I only attend meetings with agenda, says the intern to the CEO of the group. Right, right, right. In, this first, in his first reply all email to like 2,000 people. <laughs> that would be a great start to, to your internship. It would still be very productive in some form. So I think uh, I just put it in other words, but uh, I think that's what You might thing. have to look for a different internship, but it would be productive. Right, it would be productive for the company at least. And, and I think the second one, I talked to a vocal coach that uh, I sometimes talk to and she told me that it might be beneficial, especially in virtual environments to start the meeting with saying what the goal is as always i think you should do that in non-remote environments as well but especially in non non uh, in, in remote environments hint at the people um, and say okay for the next five minutes we're going to talk about this then for the next 10 minutes we're going to talk about this and always keep the times connected to who's going to say what because in a virtual environment you're not going to do that in a non in a non-remote environment i think uh, especially so that's something that i took away from, from those kind of situations when when she taught me like how to work with virtual environments a bit more. Can you can you elaborate on that? I didn't fully understand it. What are you okay, doing? Yeah, so let's say we have a 30-minute meeting. Um, so what, what she told me also from her experience is that when you have a 30-minute meeting, you start up with the goals and then you say, okay, Mike is going to actually pitch 
uh, pitch this company in the next five minutes. And then in the next five minutes, we're going to have an open discussion. In the last 20 minutes, we're going to go into a product demo uh, and be very specific about um, who, does, who does what and not just leave it in the blank at the beginning of the meeting. Mm, okay, then so basically... Define the roles, people. define the roles and the responsibilities of each person in the group. Kind of. Okay, got it. Uh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And then for those who are just listening, tell them to, to listen. And yeah, yeah. maybe ask questions if they have any. Agree. Okay, that's cool. Like vocal coach is interesting. Are you starting a career as a singer and you're not telling me? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I, uh, I, I'm still practicing in the dark. Okay. I'm excited. So maybe in maybe in season three we'll we'll have an intro song, and I know who will will sing it, produce it. Yeah, it's also one. it's also a goal to to learn guitar. So to, to learn a guitar. So if we have anybody in the in the community that plays guitar, I'm happy to uh, get to know the best app in the world to learn. Okay, to I I can actually help you right now because my one of my co-founders is a very accomplished guitar player. And the other one is currently learning. So fantastic! Please, uh, uh, I can I can help you out with an with an intro to two people you already know. But I, I'll, we, I'll, we, I'll help you out on that one. We have a good app uh, app app tool tool idea for the next podcast. Then I guess. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, I have a book recommendation for you. You want to hear it? Sure, go ahead. Yeah, and we definitely talked about the book before, but I don't think we did it live. So it's called High Growth Handbook. Oh yeah, and do, do you know it? Have you read I it? it? I think no. I think I have it on my. I think I partly read it uh, here and there. But didn't you mention it in one of the first episodes? I'm not sure. That's the point. I have no idea. I probably like might have mentioned it before, but I couldn't find it in our episode list. So okay, I just assumed that I didn't mention it. But maybe maybe it was just hidden in one of the URLs. But yeah, High Growth Handbook by Ila Jill. He is, I hopefully, hopefully I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but basically a, a very a famous person in Silicon Valley, very good at growing companies from, basically from product market fit to scale. That's like roughly what the mm -hmm. book is targeting at. So it's not necessarily something for the very early startup founders who are listening, but rather for someone who wants to scale. It's literally called High Growth Handbook Scaling Startups from 10 people to 10,000 people. Cool. So very, very interesting. What I like about it is that it's very practical. It's not much theory. He doesn't try to push any kind of framework on you. It's just, this is what you should do in HR. This is what you should do in operations. This is what you should do, blah, 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 blah. So mm -hmm. it's, it's very hands-on targeted advice and i really like it and i have <laughs> I, I i think it's one of the uh, the good books that i've read too early because i definitely <laughs> read it pre-product market fit and uh but still a good book i think it's very helpful i'll read it again um when i want to hyper scale even more what's uh, kind of what's kind of one thing that 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 you uh kind of one element that he shared that you found very interesting that you would like to share with with the listeners yeah that is very interesting is his explanation of hiring the executive team because if you're a first-time founder or first-time ceo at first you don't really hire executives right you hire people that can help you to get the job done 
Mm. And that is very different to at some point hiring the leadership team that helps you to grow the company. Those are usually more experienced people. They are often older than you and they require more work to actually, it requires more work to hire one of them. And it's also a more complex process. And it's also difficult because these people have more years and more experience, uh, at least often time than you have. Yep. But yeah, he, he, he makes a very good job of explaining why you should do it at some point. And that once you've done it, you will actually be very happy that you have done it. So I think that's, uh, that's a very interesting point. And yeah, I, I haven't done any executive hiring yet. Uh, we have some people that help us, but more in like terms of advisory roles that are very, uh, very seasoned. And other than that, we just hired the smart driven people till now. Yeah. But probably we like for, for my current company, we probably have to start hiring executives at some point next year. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you a, a recap of that. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Very interesting topic. Building leadership teams is core, core function of scaling, right? Yeah. And the, the <laughs> one thing that like, I mean, a very interesting thing to think about is just that a company operates differently when you're 10 people than when you're 100 and 1,000, et cetera, et cetera. And there are some great things about just being a very small company. Like one, one thing that we still regularly do just because we are all fairly uh, informal, we just invent new titles and then someone is just being promoted within a meeting. So um, it's, it's usually some, some very like stupid things. So our CTO had the honor of becoming head of printer and head of, um, what, what was the other thing? Head of laptop and head of smartphones because he, he fixed mine. And at some point he just, uh, he just was promoted to head of everything that uses bits and bytes. And that was his title for some time. And yeah, but you, you can't uh, do that anymore at some point. Uh, I mean, you technically can, but the super seasoned executive from Twitter probably finds it less funny than we do. I, I like the humor, though. I, I think you should keep it. It makes, it makes the culture. Uh, uh, I'll never, I never lose the humor. I right. think a lot of things have to happen for that. <laughs> Love it. Maybe that's a reason to join. Oh, yeah. If you like hard work, a very ambitious nature, and still a lot of fun, then we're probably a good company to work at. <laughs> I agree. I know uh, the founders, at least two of them. So uh, good choice. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, great book. You should read it at some point. Even if you're not building a like scaling startup right now, I think it's just very interesting. And you can just always reread it whenever it's relevant for you. Agree. I've read it before. I need to read it again because we're in the perfect stage for that. I think. Good hint. You, you forget so many things, right? It's it's crazy yeah. how many things uh, one forgets, especially things where you wouldn't necessarily think that you will forget them. Mm, but then you can reactivate the knowledge very quickly. So I think I should. I, I just have to skim the uh, outline of the book, and I will probably remember like most things again. Great. Sometimes also difficult to to uh, remember where you heard things. Do you know that? Like you, you definitely know that you've read something, but you don't know, was it a blog article? Did, I don't know, like a friend tell you or did you read it in a book? Agree, that's how, like even the best notebooks, 
like digital notebooks are not sufficient enough for that specific business yeah, problem. Yeah, because you never write down everything. But since okay. I, I mean, since I really wrote down a lot of things in my notebooks, even just thoughts, and uh, since I've become more elaborate, and sometimes I'm just typing things that I think are not necessarily relevant for what I want to bring across, but are relevant for me to actually find it again when I search for it. Yeah. Since then, my life got a bit better, but it's still very <laughs> difficult. I think there is, uh, I saw a video of Tim Ferriss once where he describes how he does note-taking. Quite interesting for people who want to check it out. Very granular, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I tried that. I can't do it. Yeah, um, it's, it's too granular in my opinion, but yeah, it's... Like, Sorry, go ahead. No, it's, I think it's one way of, of taking the extreme path if people are interested. Yeah. I, I use a mix of his note-taking, Bill Clinton's note-taking, and I forgot the name. What's the name of the author of Ego is the Enemy? Do you remember? Do you know that? Ryan Holiday? Yeah, Ryan Holiday. That's Ryan it. Holiday. Yeah. Let's, uh, that's a good topic, actually, note-taking. Um, oh, yeah, we, we can talk about that at some point. Yeah, we should. There's also this company that's exploding right now. It's called Rome Research. Have we talked about them before? Yeah, that was one of the uh, topics of last episode. See? Yeah, I'm, I'm misappropriating so many, <laughs> so many things. You, but... just, you just made everything that you said two minutes earlier very, very true. And uh, everybody yeah, understood. No, <laughs> it's, it's super, especially in stressful environments. I mean, we talked about it before the call. My last week was super, super busy. And when I'm in the zone... I just really forget many things that are not super important. I just focus on the topic at hand, get it done, and then all of the rest is just blended out completely. Mm. And it's probably similar for you. I think you yeah, I feel it. Before. We uh, feel it. Sometimes we postpone these meetings because we need some more time to reflect. <laughs> yeah, but then also everyone who's listening has the added advantage of like hearing us being excited about the same thing twice over a couple of episodes, which means that it's probably very like a very good thing, or at least something that we think of a lot. Agree. Which makes it maybe even more important than things we mentioned once. I don't know. It's 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 a good analysis, actually. I think uh, we will come across it. The, the more epi episodes we have, the more we will come into those disasters of forgetting that we we've had we discussed something in the podcast before. The cool thing is that most people won't binge listen to it anyways, so they will have sure. forgotten it as well. True. So okay, we, it never happened. You didn't hear that, and we will transition. <laughs> we will transition to the quote. And actually, the quote is some something I would like to discuss with you today. So I don't want to end it immediately. I just uh, thought it was a good uh, point of discussion. And uh, the quote is as follows. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the ones you did do. And apparently it's from Mark Twain. I don't know if that's true, but it's a good quote. And it also lines up well with the subject of regret minimization which is something that's uh, often promoted by, by some very accomplished people. I think Jeff Bezos talked about it. Some, some other folks talk about it regularly. And it's, it's definitely something that's very hard to grasp, right? Mm. Because there's so many opportunities and so many things you could do. And in hindsight, so many things you would have liked to do in a very different way, Right. So how are you approaching regret minimization? Do you even think about it? Or is it something that you're not thinking about that much? I mean, uh, actually a fantastic quote. I think there are um, kind of two layers 
for for the question to be answered, I think the first one, at least for me, right? I mean, the first one is um, oftentimes what I realize is that the gut definitely is an important element of deciding whether you want to pursue something or not. So with all the data, with all the uh, mathematical decision making, you can you can choose in order to make a good decision. I think the gut still tells you whether you can pursue something. That's the first yeah. kind of One point. One of my co-founders would love you right now. My other co-founder would hate you right now. And this is often the source for a lot of conversation in the company. <laughs> I can imagine. And, and I mean, I'm also quite, quite data-driven when it comes to... Um, business decisions, but I think when it comes to regret in the personal environment, at least, I think gut feeling is still an important factor. Um, I think that's the first element that I would see. The second element I would see is that it helps to visualize where you want to be in the future, whether that's about kind of goal or vision setting or um, and kind of building your storyline, at least from a very high level perspective, not going into details, but what, who do you want to be based on potentially the big five for lives or however you, what, which kind of method you want to use. But I think um, understanding where you want to be and how certain decisions reflect your future self, that's, I think, another um, factor to be involved. And I think the third one is the, and I don't know if it's a mental model, I think I've come across it there, but I think the power of waiting um, when making a decision, uh, especially if in, 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 in an environment of regret, just wait a couple more days and decide if you're still, or not a couple of days, but also maybe a couple of weeks and decide if you still see the potential and decide whether you got feeling at the data that you have collected helps you to to actually make a decision about kind of those decisions that might be a re like a regret factor in the future. Uh, and always talk to people to get some feedback and use all that, that those kind of stuff. So I think these kind of three, four layers would be important for me to to mitigate the feeling of regret what about you yeah so I, i'll comment on on the things you said first so gut feeling is a super tough one for me i i get that gut feeling is just a description of your brain using information that you can't really verbalize yep. and based on that taking a decision But that's, that's really hard for me because I, I think that often the gut can also be very wrong. And then also I associate gut feeling with short-term optimization to some degree. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, not, it's, not, it's definitely not the same, but I have a feeling that gut decisions often, not always, minimize the short-term more than the long-term. Um, Which is I, I think I why you need to wait. I think the waiting part is directly connected to the gut feeling so you wait for your gut to decide yeah, keep the gut keep the gut eating, eating keep the, the gut meat. waiting okay yeah. that's interesting yeah I, i i agree that sometimes waiting is very helpful and that's also a thing that i i've learned over the years that often or almost always things or your perspective changes or the severity of a decision decreases when you wait a bit. Mm. However, sometimes the longer you wait, the worse the decision will become because there are things like deadlines and sometimes there's pressure to make decisions and sometimes waiting is not the right thing. But yeah, totally agree. If you can wait, often makes sense. That's why the, like the 
saying uh, sleep at night or yeah. sleep over it or whatever yeah. uh, exists. Then also visualize where you want to be. I find that very, very helpful. I, I usually have like quarterly meetings with myself where I think about, okay, am I going where I want to go? Am I doing mm. the right things? What do I want to change? What's my next project? And by next project, I don't mean like maiden projects because I'm committed to the startup right now. But every couple of weeks or month or whatever, I just have something that gives me some new joy that uh, brings me closer to who I want to be. So that's that's very helpful in terms of regret minimization. Mm-hmm. And also, I think deactivating jealousy makes a lot of sense in that right. regard. Yeah, Because if you're not jealous, then... You have fewer regrets if you're just if you just like who you are and think mm. that you are doing what you want to do to become the best version of yourself. That sounds very self improvement guru like, but I think <laughs> this one is actually true. Uh, I think if you if you can deactivate jealousy, that's a, a very big part of also minimizing regrets. Mm. And then also two things that were. What do you exactly mean by that? Oh, I was so sure that we have talked about that before, but apparently we haven't. So one of my favorite things that I've done in the last, I don't know, two or three years was completely remove jealousy out of my life. And just because I read one single, I don't know if I read it or listened to it, one single thing that Naval said, and basically what he said was, if you are jealous about what someone else has, then you can't be jealous just about this one thing, this one aspect you have to be jealous about the whole person because the, like maybe um, to use a, a very simplified example, maybe the, the other person is richer than you, but yeah. not as good looking just to, to use a very stupid example. Yeah. Or maybe you are very proud of your athletic or your artistic ability and someone else is smarter than you, but you have that for yourself or you are just a very good friend to your friends, et cetera, et cetera. So, you, you can't just be jealous because someone else is rich or because mm. someone else is smart or good looking or whatever. You, you would have to take the whole life of them and exchange it for your own life if you would. If, because there's so many aspects to one's life and you usually see the better aspects of other people. Makes sense. So, if you would not change your own life versus that of someone else, and I think most people actually wouldn't if they really think about it, Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't be jealous. And since I read that, I'm just not jealous anymore. I was never the really jealous person, but now I just, I just, I'm happy for other people. They're not me. I'm doing whatever I want to do. Um, still, I mean, I definitely have regrets, and I need to do things better every single day. Mm-hmm. But at least that's not part of my life anymore. And it's it's that's a really interesting. Yeah, and it's I... one of the it's one of the funny things where literally just reading a sentence or listening to it as i as i mentioned i don't remember and reflecting on it a bit like completely changed my outlook on something and that usually doesn't happen right usually it takes some time usually to hear it from different people or something but this specific time it happened and um, i'm still yeah that, that, that's that's very interesting especially in that conversation uh, in the interest of time, since we one more one more reason to uh, invite, yeah uh, one more reason to invite Naval, I think because uh... yeah, at some point <laughs> Naval has to be on here. I right. think that's something for season three or four. Right. But I'm I'm definitely hyped. He's I think my number one on the on the list. 
like it. And yeah, one last thing, maybe to comment on the regret minimization. I think reflection is just super important. Mm. So you need to think regularly about what you actually want, because if you don't do that, then you don't know even right now whether you're doing what actually brings you where you have a small amount of regrets. And there's uh, another nice quote that I've read, which is, I think it's something like soft decisions lead to a hard life, hard decisions lead to a soft life. So I think sometimes you have to Mm -hmm. make the hard decisions, quit a job, start a new job, move to a different country. I don't know. Start that relationship, start that business, end that business, end that relationship. I don't know, whatever it is. Start a podcast. Start a podcast. Uh, do it with one of your best friends. You you have to have the same first letter in your in your first names. Yeah, that's 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 the, the goal in life, right? Reach reach that state where you can have a podcast with someone who shares the first letter. Uh, of your of your first name. Very hard to find. 